Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today, I am joined by Lisa Bedlow on the Focus on Why podcast. Lisa, welcome. Thank you. It's so lovely to be here. I'm really, really excited to be talking to you today. Well, it's been a long time planning. We we spoke, we were trying to work it out. I think it was back in December. So the other side of the other year that was, <laughs> that has been a big year. And it, we were very kindly introduced by another one of Focus Wide guests who was Angela Rigby, or still is Angela Rigby. Thank you, Angela, for this introduction. Yes, thank you, Angela. You're a superstar. <laughs> she is indeed. So what do you think made Angela point us in the right direction to one another? Mm, good question. I think Angela knows I'm so passionate about working with children, um, helping to improve their lives, make a difference. And really, I'm so heart driven by um, wanting to move things forward and give the children of this generation the best possible chances uh, to move forward in their lives and she knows that I'm reaching out making contacts and connections with people who share that passion with me and I know Angela and I yeah I'm sure we're going to be joining this journey somewhere along the line in the future she's she's definitely a kindred spirit who understands what I'm working towards. So why children and why make a difference? Oh, I love that. Well, I, I'm, I was recently described by a lovely group of people of, of anything children, Lisa Bedlow, anything children or everything children, I think it might have been, because I think even from a very, very young age, I've just been drawn to working with children. So I did the typical kind of 14 year old babysitting for people's uh, children, you know, friends and neighbours up the road. Then I went into nannying. Then I went into teaching. Um, I became a head teacher, then an executive head teacher. And I still have this massive passion. And it's kind of like a, it's a heart inbuilt justice for children. I've got to get their voice heard. And, and, and I start with the youngest children working all the way up. I've worked with all ages from, you know, zero babies all the way up to sort of 19, 20 year olds. Um, and I, I think it's just about wanting to help in any way I possibly can. Obviously, as an educate, educator, um, it's, it's not just about education, although I have noticed a big, big change in the way children are well, I've been educating for 30 years now. So in that 30 years, I've noticed such a big change in children's um, moods, feelings, sensitivities. And I think in my years as a head teacher, I was starting to notice a change in the families wanting more for their children, wanting more than just the education side, but actually wanting some um, things that were going to support them emotionally as well. And I think that was where my passion came through. Um, and, and as someone who also does energy healing, I've got a wealth of tools and techniques that I can use to help children, help families, help teachers. So I think that's why children. It's just so ingrained in me. It's fun, fantastic. And I wanted to ask you about the, the justice for children, what that means to you. Mm, I think it is just that being a voice for the children. And that probably stems from my own childhood. I was one of three children. 
born to a mother who wasn't overly, she was young, she wasn't overly happy being a young mum stuck at home with three children. Um, and I think I was in a class of 40 children when I went to primary school, so very much sort of probably sidelined and, and not noticed, which probably suited me at that time just to be small. Um, but I kind of think there were lots of things around that being a very highly anxious child with lots of stress in my life and um, not understanding a lot, I think, that I just wanted to change that. I remember once interviewing a teacher when I was a deputy head. We were interviewing this teacher and we asked her, why, why do you want to work with children? And she said, I just want to make it better for them than it was for me as a child. And I suddenly had this light bulb moment of, oh, I think that's why I'm teaching. So I think it is this justice for children, giving them a voice. Um, and interestingly, um, we sadly, since I last spoke to you, had a, a local child was murdered um, in our community, 13 year old boy and beautiful boy, Ollie Stevens. And I've been working with lots of the families who've been impacted by his murder and his his sister and family have set up a justice for Ollie page. And I think it is that word justice. You know, children need to have their voice. It can't be when they're living, but it can be when they've passed away or died, you know, then it's, it's, I will still do it. I'll fight for children, whether they're alive or dead. Um, and I think supporting Ollie, his friends, his family um, is just as valuable to me as supporting all these other children who've been through my many schools um, or whether that was nannying days, babysitting days, um, you know, just so many children have I've come across in my lifetime. So you've been in the system, you've been in the education system, you're now outside the education system. How can you make a bigger impact from outside than you could from within? That's a good question, because I um, it's interesting how these Facebook memories come up. And I had a few recently that were um, I was head of two nursery schools, two state funded nursery schools. And recently, um, in my later years of being there, funds were decreasing. We were going up to Parliament. We were lobbying. And I I really felt passionate about putting education into uh, putting money into early years education, because we all know that's the benefit. If you, if you can really give children a love of learning at, at early years, um, then you don't have to put out lots of issues you know, later on you don't have to keep putting money into perhaps the, the, the prison system or where they where they've been let down so I think the for me being in the education system you are limited by what you're allowed to say or do because of the local authority and you have to obviously you're in a, a figure of authority or somebody who's role modeling and leading by example in in the um, community and I still do that and I'm still really passionate but I think now I've set up a community interest company which is very like a charity um, I've got my own voice and my you know I can do things my way I don't have to think oh well I don't I might get told off by my local authority if I do this it's very much I can now lead totally from the heart, not by what other people are telling me I can I can lead by. And I think that's where my passion lies. It's that I can now be that voice, speak out, whether it's for a teacher who's struggling with a child or a parent who's struggling with a child or a child who's struggling with themselves. It's it's not guided by anyone else out of that. It's just me, what I believe in, what I know and, and the skills and techniques I've built up over the last 30 years or so. And you're talking with great clarity now, Lisa, and you're, you're saying about being led from the heart, that you're, you're heart driven. What, what difference does that make for you to, to come from the heart? Is it, is it linked to your energy work? 
I think it is actually, and I think that's been a kind of recent revelation for me. I've, I'm, I'm exploring lots of different um, modes of energy work, and I love it. And whether it's something as simple as, uh, I mean, I've got friends who do Reiki healing. I had some time as a pranic healer. I've, I'm now doing um, what I call natural intuitive energy healing. And I think it's tuning into children and, and letting them um they're amazing. Young children are so intuitive. Um, I love working with them. They're also very quick to heal. And I've had such fabulous results doing our, we have a one-to-one -one program that I do with children in the home, especially for children with anxiety, eating disorders, self-harm, you name it. Any Anything I've got, I can do work with it and help it. So I think, yes, I, I very much feel it's heart-led. And I think when I was in the education system, I was able to, as a head teacher, I was able to employ people who shared that heart-led um, passion with, with myself. But I did notice some of my lovely colleagues were very much um, head-driven, you know, very much, oh, no, no, we have to do it this way. We have to follow this policy, this procedure, this way, rather than really going with what is right for the child. And I think now I'm doing what I'm doing, I can totally go with what's right for the child. Every child's unique and individual. I do work with quite a high number of children on the autist autistic spectrum or those with ADHD, uh, high sensitivity, sensory issues. So those sort of what I, I just call them sensitive children. They are they are a beautiful new generation of children coming through with, you know, amazing intuitive skills. And, and they are uh, very open to anything. They haven't got the adult thing of, oh, well, that's a load of rubbish, isn't it? They, they just open and they believe and they trust and they and they can tell. Um, and this is something going back to my head teacher days that if we were interviewing um, I always would get a candidate to sit with the children because looking at how the children respond to that candidate tells me so much more than just sitting and interviewing that candidate because children are intuitive and they can sense if somebody's genuine and true and kind or if they're not um, and that was often for me the biggest part of the interview it was it was seeing how someone interacted with children. It's, it's really interesting and, and I'm working with another lady at the moment to launch her podcast and she's an ex-head teacher which is it's, she's fabulous I'm going to introduce you absolutely will oh, really need, need to yeah she, you need to get on her show as well because it's all about unlocking your hidden confidence and mm. I feel that's what you're you're helping these children do in giving them a voice as well and yes. that links back to you saying that you are highly anxious as a child yeah was it was it diagnosed formally or was it just something that you lived with and had to deal with and find your own strategies Absolutely that, because I was a child born in the 60s, raised in the 70s and 80s. And yeah, no one ever gave any kind of support. And I think I look back now and reflect and I can see so many things that I just think, gosh, that poor little girl that I was with um, stress and anxiety. My parents went through a divorce when I was quite young. We were one of the only families in my school that had divorced parents. So obviously there was a slight kind of stigma and, and uh, shame around that. Um, I then I think with the trauma of that I had this uh, condition where I actually pulled all my hair out and nobody ever questioned me or asked me nobody wanted to know why are you, you know, why are you doing that um, and I had all these little ticks and twitches in my face and I was a bed wetter I had all the signs of an anxious child so now when I when I work with children or when a family gets in touch with me and says either we've been through a divorce or our child's suffering stress or anxiety or they've got this condition I can almost I can so empathize I can feel that the sadness of that child I can feel where they are because that was me um, I was lucky I made a very very dear close friend in school 
from a very young age, just seven years old, and we're still really, really close. And I would say to her, she was like my guardian angel. She came along, picked me up, um, and just gave me that strength and confidence to get through school and education when, when you know, I didn't really feel I had any adult support, but she was there for me. So, yeah. And is that what you are now, Lisa? You're the guardian angel. I, that's a beautiful way of putting it, but I like to think I am. I think I am that that guardian angel for all those children and parents who are maybe struggling, not knowing where to go. And I know the edu- you know the system is overloaded, um, the CAM system, you know the child and adolescent um, mental health system. Uh, they, they are overburdened. There's a two year waiting list for any kind of support. I've had families who said, "Oh, my child's got eating disorders, but we've got to wait a year or two. There's nowhere local. Do you recommend any?" Anywhere? Do you know anywhere? I'm always being asked these kind of questions. And it is, yeah, being that guardian angel to help the child see that they can help themselves, that they've got it within themselves by just giving them some tools and techniques. And they might be as simple as taking some deep breathing. Anyone who does mindfulness knows that, you know, just that tuning into your body, listening to your body, taking those deep breaths to, um, you know, just uh, another activity I do is called Amazing You. You know, tell me what five amazing things about you. And a, a young child will probably be able to do that because they can say, I can jump high or I've got friends or, you know, they. but an older child will really struggle with that and say, uh, mm, I'm not sure. And then I either have to kind of gently pull it out of them or I might say, well, how would your friends describe you? What would they say? Because sometimes it's easier for them to step out and think, well, my friends would say I'm very kind, I'm very friendly, um, but it's hard sometimes for them themselves to see it because they've started that conditioning of low self-esteem, low self-worth, um, lack of confidence. And that may have come from parents, it may have come from school, it may have come from another source, but my aim is to to wipe that away and, and get them back to seeing themselves as um, someone confident with value, with self-worth, who can really get themselves back on track. So all the activities I do and all the strategies I teach are all around those uh, tools. It's like a toolbox and they can use it forever. So I teach the same things to adults as I teach to children. And you mentioned that the young children are very confident in sharing those five amazing things, which I love that exercise. Amazing new things. It's fabulous. Yeah. What tips them into this sudden realm of low self-esteem, low self-worth, low self-confidence? There's multiple things that can be. I mean, if you are a sensitive child, you only need one person who you really admire and look up to to say something bad about you or negative about you who may not have meant it. They may have said it in jest. And I still know there are families that will still say, oh, look at you, you know, and in a kind of derogatory way. They think it's a joke, but actually... Um, in a way that um, there's that saying sticks and stones will break my bones but names will never hurt me but actually it's the other way around those names really do hurt you and they sit within your heart and they do make you feel well actually if this person if my mother or my father or my teacher thinks that about me then then I'm not anybody worthy or I'm not anyone important so actually Um, this is something I have to teach to families, you know, to say that I know you're not saying that meaning to be unkind, or I know you're saying it because your parents said it to you, but actually stop and think, does that make you feel good about yourself? Um, 
you know, it's it's finding ways to, we want to encourage our children, give them that, that great self-esteem. I know when I asked my mother why she never praised us, um, she said, oh, we don't want to make you big-headed. Um, and I think, oh, God, isn't that sad that that's how it was seen in those days, that it would make you big-headed to, to feel that you were someone important or somebody worthy. Um, because in a way, if, if your own closest people don't love you, if your own mother or your own father or your own teachers aren't praising you and telling you good things about yourself, how are you going to believe that? Um, because they are your role models. They're the people you look up to. And I think, yeah, so for me, I'm always trying to find either tip the balance in the family home and get parents to notice it if they haven't noticed it or teachers to notice it. Um, I know when my children started at secondary school, um, some of the teachers there, and I'm not saying all teachers do this, but I know there's a slight um fear element in secondary schools that we don't want these children to get too unruly so we're going to put, put you know come down hard on them on that first day but what they don't realize is actually that really slams their confidence their self-esteem and their ability to want to speak out and suggest things and and take part in things if a if a teacher won't listen or says be quiet you mustn't speak out um it can just really squash them and, I, and I've had a lot of families, I know we've also had lockdown, which is obviously the most bizarre thing ever, um, but a lot of families have come and said, my child has gone from this really safe, nurturing, loving primary school, they're now in their first year of secondary school, and they're really struggling. And I think that might be where it's come from. I think the teachers are thinking they're doing them a favour by being really tough and firm and saying, right, this is how it is in this school. But actually for the child, especially having gone through lockdown, it's too much and it's for the sensitive child it's just too much and they they can't then build that trust and safety for children to learn they have to feel trust and they have to feel loved and they have to feel safe and happy um, and again I'm speaking from the heart because that was me I knew the teachers I trusted I knew the teachers that I felt really believed in me and they're the teachers I really grew and and learned well from and the teachers that were really scary I just sat there in complete fear the whole time thinking oh my god any minute now they're going to throw a book at me they were allowed in those days or oh, they're going to give me a detention or and and actually that's such a shame because you're actually really stifling children's learning by being negative yeah, I, I mean, I remember you just reminded me of some experiences of being a small child, probably I was five or six. And yes, I mean, that there were some punishments that involved physical pain. And one of them was a reach, one of my teachers had a ruler and she would make us put our hands flat and she would use the edge of the ruler to hit. And I, and I did go to and I, I remember going to see the head and saying, this can't be right. Is this really how? if we do something wrong this is what happens and she was she did say to us no that's not right and actually that teacher I never saw her again but I do so I do remember speaking out as a young child and having the confidence to do that but it must have been because I felt I trusted and really liked my head and I and I do have very fond memories of her so it can make so much difference can't it and I wanted to ask you the question about that whole being unruly on the on the first day and and sort of shaping the, the expectations of because this is what you're talking about now you're sort of how to balance how you talk about the balance how to hold that balance between a relationship in a classroom and between a relationship with a parent and child where where there is obviously an edge where too much one way or another makes so much difference yeah. And, you know, I, I use this lovely analogy that a friend talked to me about called um, where you compare a dandelion and an orchid and you think 
a dandelion is going to thrive wherever it is, wherever that seed falls, whether it's between a crack in a pavement or on a lawn or in a field, it's going to thrive and it's going to grow and it's going to be fine. Um, and many, many children are like those beautiful dandelions. But there are those few and there's more of them coming now that are more like an orchid. They are so beautiful and so exquisite, but they need very specific guidance, support and love. So if you think of an orchid, it needs a certain kind of environment. It needs a certain amount of water, sunlight, whatever, for it to really stay strong and beautiful in the way that it can be. And I think when I talk to parents, especially if it's a parent who's maybe had a recent diagnosis, their child's been told, you know, they've told their child's got is on the autistic spectrum. Um, and that can be a real kind of like, oh, for them, how do we how do we do this? How do we manage a child with, with autism? And I start by saying, well, you've still got a flower. It's just maybe not a dandelion. It's more of an orchid. And so it's just needs different kind of treatment, different kind of ways for you to bring out the best in your child. Um, and I think I'd like to you know, think more teachers need to be hearing that and understanding that. I'm certainly obviously getting more connection with parents now who step forward. And, and it's wonderful because when they have the conversation, oh, I've got this child, he's full of anger. And then we start discussion and they'll say, oh, actually, I think they're probably getting that from me because, yeah, I'm quite angry. And actually, maybe I need to do a bit of work on myself as well. And and then we can do a family group treatment. So, I, you know, it's it's kind of looking at what's best for each child, each family, each um, setting um, just to get the best really for for everybody to, to grow and I do think it's very very old-fashioned I, I just keep thinking why are, like, why are schools why are some teachers still doing this and I can only think it is fear or it's just because they just don't know any different or no one's ever taught them any differently but we know the best you get the best out of children when they're actually feeling safe and love, like I said before, not in fear of you, because a fearful child just completely gets that reptilian brain, they shut down. And, and again, like I said, I did struggle to learn in school with those teachers that had that fear element, it just did not work for me. So what, what is inspiring you now? What is the why behind everything you're doing? Oh, it is that every time I meet a parent or come across, and we've got our Facebook um, cover, um, following now is growing and growing and growing and more and more families are choosing to home educate their families their children because they're saying you know we had lockdown and actually our children thrived during lockdown because we were giving them more one-to-one -one time they weren't having the pressure of this angry teacher and, and to be fair on teachers I don't I'm not slating them at all I know they're under pressure I know head teachers are under pressure because it comes from the government you have to reach targets you have to you know your children have to make certain levels of progress otherwise you won't get your pay rise completely the wrong way of, of, of educating but so coming across families who are now choosing home education um, because that's what they see is best for their child they, they see that the for a child to thrive as we've just said about the orchid they need to be in a certain environment so I think for me my why is very much every time I speak to one of those parents who say oh we're considering home education not because we want to home educate but because my child our child is just not managing in a mainstream school or in a a school that can't meet their needs um, I know Senko's the special educational needs coordinators are overwhelmed by trying to support children I know as I've said the, the the systems all of the systems out there are overwhelmed they can't meet the needs so the threshold is going higher and higher and higher so families say oh I've waited for two years to get a referral with CAMS or whatever and then they get there and it's kind of like well sorry your child yes they have got some needs but they're not high enough to reach our threshold for us to support them 
So then the parents go away thinking, well, well, where do we go now? Most people find us because we're kind of like their last resort. I know that sounds, it's certainly in those circumstances, I think they think, well, we've tried everything else. Where else can we go? Oh, we've heard about Gabriel's well-being and education. Um, and Gabriel, the name being strength of God, we believe strength, resilience. If we can give children strength and resilience, that's why people come to us. And it's usually a friend of a friend or we've heard about you through this group or somebody's told us about you or I heard about this wonderful transformation that you did with this child um, and we also have these well-being days our woodland well-being days so that's how it all started it started with me as a head teacher in a nursery school having parents who'd their children had gone off to school they, they'd been really happy in the nursery school gone off to primary school maybe been happy in the first year which is reception which is quite play-based then when it got more formal in year one year two Parents were coming back to me and saying, I don't know what to do. My child's just not settling. They're just not happy. They Sunday evenings are that real kind of trauma where they're like, oh, I just don't want to go to school tomorrow. I've got a tummy ache. I feel sick. And I remember that myself as a child thinking, oh, and I know teachers feel that. There are some teachers that are feeling sick on a Sunday night thinking, oh, I've got school tomorrow. So sensitive children pick up on that. They know that it's not going to be a happy, safe place. Um, so all these families are now saying, oh, let's let's home educate because then we're not putting our children under these pressures. But then they that brings other pressures because it means one of the parents has got to stay at home and be with the child. So it means one of them's not earning, so their income goes down. So it does have a knock-on effect on the family. Or they can be trying to juggle because we've all been doing that in lockdown. They can be trying to juggle work, half work, half home educating. But the way we work, um, you know, so when I set up these wellbeing days, it was around helping and reaching as many children as I could um, to come in the school holidays to learn these strategies, techniques. And it might be a bit of yoga, a bit of meditation. It might be colouring mandalas, something that's just going to calm them. But also the biggest thing they love is being outside in nature, running around, um, teaching them things like campfire skills, how to how to wood whittle, how to light your own fire. And then we always end every session with let's sit around the campfire and let's either write down or draw a picture of something that we'd like to throw into the fire and get rid of. So that's a really great kind of let's get rid of all our worries and our fears into the fire. And then they get the opportunity also to grow something. So they have another piece of paper that might be, I want to grow this in my life. I want more of this. So they can put that in the fire for the fire angels to take away and whisk up to the universe and say, this is what I'd like to happen in my life. So they, they get this lovely ability to come and be free and be themselves, but also to recognize that they have some control and they have some techniques and skills they can use to manipulate where their life's going to go and to believe in themselves like I said about the amazing me if they really can truly believe that in their hearts and feel it then they are amazing and they will go on to be amazing young people in the future. So you, you, you're talking here about empowering the children and and very from a very early age because as you mentioned right at the beginning that then stops putting so much pressure on the system all the way through and it will alleviate the prison system because people won't put themselves into that cycle where they then become kind of lost or or whatever in the system so tell me at what point did you have this calling that you just knew this is what was going you were going to be doing oh that's a really good question so I actually was I was doing a bit of exploring my spiritual side and I was exploring a bit of angelic reiki and a bit of crystal healing and I came across this amazing woman um who kind of did set me on this whole path her daughter her, sorry her two sons had come to my nursery and she came and did some um 
meditation groups with our staff because she said, oh, I just feel I want to give something back to your to your nursery. And she did this beautiful um, past life kind of regression healing with me. And she just said, you've always had this ambition to set up a special school for children and, and run it with love and kindness. And I thought, gosh, I've never told anyone that. How did she know that? And this is when I started to think, oh, there's a bit more to this than I realised. And, um, and, so, and that was about, I think we, we had a chat the other day and we were saying that was, I think that was about 20, 2012, 2013. And I remember thinking, well, that's never going to happen. Where am I ever going to get that kind of money? And, and then um, I met somebody who said, I said something like, oh, I'm going to, when I win the lottery, I'm going to buy a big house in the country. I'm going to adopt loads of children and set up my own school. And this guy said, why are you waiting to win the lottery? There are people out there who are very altruistic, who want to support this kind of thing. They will help you buy this skill building, buy this school and set up this amazing, incredible need. Um, so that's kind of where I am right now. I'm at the point where I'm waiting for that connection to find that person or those people who are going to say, we really love what you're doing. We really believe in it. We've got this spare bit of money a couple of million would be great to buy a property with loads of land around it in this area because we're in we're in the kind of Oxfordshire Berkshire area so you know it's pr pretty pricey around here um rather than buying a castle up in Scotland which would be amazing but I don't know as many people up there <laughs> so it is about um finding the right connections because I just know somewhere out there somebody is going to come forward and say I am the person we are the people we're the group that want to help you to make this the next take the next we're in a temporary building uh well it's temporary as in it's a scout hut um and during lockdown they couldn't have their camps and they couldn't have their uh, meetings but now lockdown's unfolding they are starting to meet and they are starting to have their camps and that means we can't use that building so much and the land when it's mostly land we, we like to be outside and work with the children out in nature um but yeah so it's 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 been a bit an interesting journey for me to really believe and really and I suppose it was deep within my heart I started to realize actually this has been my soul journey ever since I was born I, I mean my mum said she'd take me to a toddler group and I'd be picking up the babies even though I was still a baby myself so I obviously always had this desire to be around children and lots of people say to me now you just are like a magnet for children wherever I go, even in a supermarket, perhaps less so with the face mask on now. But wherever I go, children do see me. I don't know whether they see my aura or they just see something in me that they it's almost like I I know you. I trust you. You're a beautiful soul. And um, and I have finally recognized that and thought, yeah, I am. And this is why I'm here. I'm here to help as many children as I can. I'm going to get on with this, make it happen. And it's it's just a really exciting gift to have and I feel very honoured and very blessed to be that person and find the right team to do it with me you've just given me an idea of somebody else I need you to connect with I feel I feel that there's a need for you to connect with them so I will speak to you about them afterwards as well Oh, wonderful! because it, it's just it's funny isn't it when you hear someone's mission and they're very clear about it you you know how you can then help them and yes. you said oh I need this piece of land it needs to be in this area and I'm thinking oh yes tick box tick box tick box so I will definitely point hopefully something will come of it and and this is this is what happens on on this episode on these podcasts is that you have people come on who have very mission driven their values based they're, they're people centered and heart led because their why is part of what they do. And that's what I absolutely love sharing these stories because they then, you know, you go on, people listen to them, they take action. And you've, you've listened to episodes, you've, you've heard 
you know what people have done as a result of, of tuning in so it's yeah it's just been such a privilege to to have created this show and then have people like yourself on here and think oh I can connect you to people because I've now met so many Mm, absolutely and I must admit um, after we chatted last time I spoke to um, oh gosh Karen Gibb it was and we had a wonderful conversation and she was fantastic because my three-year-old grandson came in on the middle of the call and was bouncing around and I, I was thinking this doesn't look very professional but she was so lovely and so understanding of him um, and then you know a few other people Madeline Black was talking about teaching children to have a voice especially around um, sexual abuse because a number of the children I work with have had child sexual abuse and, and the lovely Andrew Marsh, who was talking about children with Asperger's, focusing on what they are able to do rather than seeing the label and thinking, seeing that as a negative. Um, so I have been blessed and I know there's lots more um, podcast episodes I need to listen to. But you're right. It's about connecting with the right people who share your dreams, and your passion, but also who can educate you and help you understand why you're doing what you're doing and keep pushing you forward and, and for me every single day there'll be some a message or a phone call or somebody somewhere will just and I'll, I'll see it hear it and just think this is why I'm doing what I'm doing and I literally do jump out of bed with great enthusiasm every day I love my life I love my job I love everything about it I loved being a head teacher um, I, I know people used to say nobody can be that positive and happy every day Lisa and I said well if you're in the right job doing the right thing of course you can and it's a choice I choose happiness um, despite I think people also think I've had this blissful happy life well I haven't <laughs> um, and as we talked earlier they're now called adverse childhood experiences but you know I definitely tick a lot of those adverse childhood experiences and ended up in a very abusive marriage. So, you know, don't get me wrong, I know about difficulties, and, and this is the bit people often misunderstand, but it's about how you choose to move forward and what you choose to do with it. We, So many people of our generation did have a lot of difficulties in their childhoods. And it's, yes, you can wallow and say, poor me, I've had a terrible life, and that doesn't really achieve anything or do anything except make you a very miserable person to be around. Whereas um, one of my um, clients recently described to me when I was talking about radiators and drains, she said, Lisa, you are definitely one of life's radiators. And that to me is a massive compliment that I love. And I'm happy to take that. I was like, thank you so much. I'd love to be considered a radiator because that's what I wish to be. Yeah, it's great. And um, and also, I mean, when when we talk about these polarized things, radiators and drains, both serve a purpose, you know, they're both important, but we, we often put a negative attachment onto one and a positive onto the other. But sometimes, you know, actually, they, they really have both flip sides. And, and mm. I think it's important to see how they serve us as well as not, you know, in all elements of what those things are so yeah Lisa I can hear people wanting to get in contact with you what's the best way for them to reach out to you wonderful the best way would be for them to find us find our um, website which is gabrielseducation.com um, also or they could email us me on lisabedlow at gabrielseducation.com and I would love to hear from anybody I'd be delighted Perfect. Well, I will put all of those details into the show notes so they can get hold of you. No problem. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute delight having you on the show. I am thrilled to bits to get this episode out and I've already got in mind the title, which I'm very excited about. And I just want to ask you if you could leave some final words for the audience, please. Oh, gosh, final words for the audience really is just remember that inner child, always tune into your own inner child, because it makes you um, relive those beautiful moments, but it also helps you connect and tune into the children of today and what they're experiencing and what life is all about. So see life through the eyes of a child.
Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.